ओके नमस्ते फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल लेट मी क्लैरिफाई दैट द टाइटल इज पेन एंड सफरिंग बाय डॉक्टर आलोक पांडे डजेंट मीन दैट आई एम रिस्पॉन्सिबल फॉर एनीबडीज पेन एंड सफरिंग ओके सो इट्स अबाउट पेन एंड सफरिंग इन जनरल नाउ यू सी इट्स दे इज नथिंग इन दिस क्रिएशन विच डजेंट सर्व ए पर्पस दैट्स वन पार्ट but the mistake we make is that we believe that whatever has a purpose once has a purpose forever so this tendency for never and forever is something which we have to learn that there is only one place where we can speak of forever um otherwise we tend to turn every event every activity circumstance situation into a must always and always so pain and suffering comes at a point of time it has its purpose and utility and when we understand its utility and purpose we can transcend it and we don't need it anymore so before we go into its uh, you know the purpose of pain and suffering we need to note that pain and suffering occurs at at least three levels of our being first we are all aware of it's the physical level so at the physical level pain is uh, you know an obvious reminder of um vivek vivek screen i so pain is a reminder that you know we are inadequate we are imperfect we are limited beings it's a reminder of uh, what is harmful for us so it tends to help us uh, in a way to take the action which is necessary or the course which is necessary so not having pain uh, at a certain stage of evolution can be very harmful and counterproductive so pain and suffering come at a stage of evolution there is a point where there is hardly any pain there is sensibility but not pain uh this starts with life for instance trees and plants do experience at uh, some level some kind of a pain but it's more as a kind of sensation it's pain nevertheless but it's you know something which we don't often take into account because uh, having a very anthropocentric point of view we only think about ourselves uh, for instance um, when we speak of pain and suffering we never really think about the pain we cause to um, you know animal world in the course of our uh, shall i say diet appetite or whatever <laughs> we don't think even of the pain we cause to plant life and some people wonder that you know uh, so should we stop eating plants no there is a way to uh, even pluck vegetables the mother accounts how she would see and feel that there are vegetables which are ready to be plucked it's like fruits when they are ripe they are ready to fall that's the time to eat them so there is a whole science that uh, things are growing developing let them grow and develop so when you uh, do things prematurely uh, then it tends to hurt same way with a tree there is a there are instances where trees have felt the pain of the axe and mother has actually recounted it that you know the tree came to her all the way that you know they are trying to even the thought of people that they are trying to put an axe on me and the tree came to know and it felt it and came to the mother the spirit of the tree not the tree physical tree itself so uh, what we need to understand is that there are many levels at which pain is experienced the outer being of the tree is an insensible of course shubindra described very beautifully in savitri how when satyavan is axing the tree he feels a pain in his arm and he wonders whether uh, the tree feels a similar pain when you know he used to chop it so outward pain is one part of it but there is deep within something which ultimately takes all this pain and absorbs it so trees feel pain plants feel pain 
earth feels pain. Very often, you know, mountains, when there are landslides in the mountains or rivers are in spades, because we have hurt Mother Earth and she tries to readjust the balance in her own way. It's like when there are wounds, we slough it off. So one thing we must understand is that uh, pain and suffering is not unique to human. I think this is very important to understand because very often, as I said, if I take only anthropocentric view, then the whole approach is very different. That, well, we are the ones we have to get rid of pain for ourselves. But we must be careful that in trying to get rid of pain for ourselves, we are not inflicting pain upon this earth, upon creation as a whole. So this is one part. Second, pain is experienced at least at three distinct levels. So one is at the very physical level and that we all are conversant with. And to the physical level and, and physically, there are nerve fibers which pick up pain. It's very interesting to note. So the same uh, sensation, the same vibration, the same impact uh, is pleasant or painful depending on the intensity and depending on the way we perceive it. Let's take an example. When uh, two hands hit each other, even with great um, force, we don't call it pain. It's, it's a joy. It's an expression of joy. If somebody uh, you don't like expresses you uh, the same movement, but like this, even a very gentle thing, it's like there is a tendency to shrink. So there is the perception of pain. Uh, the same experience uh, uh, when done lightly and when done with great force. Uh, lightly, it probably creates no sensation and with greater impact, it causes pain. So basically, the pain fibers in a way limit us and they are there to define our limits vis-a-vis -vis the world. So there is the world existence and there we are and we are actually one continuum. It's a very fascinating world to explore. Mother speaks about it at great length in the agenda. And just like in physics, we have the way particle, um, uh, you know, way of looking at life. So we also can look at ourselves as a wave or a particle. Now, when we look at ourselves as a particle, then we have a very brief existence. We are clashing with everything else. We can look ourselves as a wave in one continuum with everything else. And this is what we will speak about as we proceed. That how when we look at ourselves as a wave, then basically, um, in fact, in a way, pain vanishes because we start living in the ocean wideness. But still at a certain stage, it's needed. Pain is needed. And if there is no pain, when life is developing, it can be harmed by many things. So that's why pain comes at a point in our evolutionary journey. But to this physical pain, there is another dimension of pain which can augment it. So this dimension is the psychological dimension. And we all know that almost all pains increase, one, when we are alone, and second, when we are at night. So night and aloneness, of course, often go together. So almost all pains, you check with any hospital, pains will increase at night. Why? Because ordinarily, our mind is projecting itself outwardly through the senses. So there are many kinds of sensation flooding inside us and the pain sensation is almost uh, minuscule. It's, it's annulled or at least uh, mitigated, reduced because of many sensations which are coming crowding into our brain. It's like a huge traffic going on. But at night, when all other sensations are beginning to cease, the same pain sensation is impacting us much greater. And when we are alone, then all the more, because everything is turning upon that part of pain. So the second thing we learn about pain is that pain is a kind of concentration on a spot. This gives us a clue, which we'll talk about later when we talk about ways to get rid of pain. 
when we are intensely concentrated on an object or on something which uh, you know is regarded as noxious we tend to experience pain so this is pain points us where is the problem so this one way that pain helps us to show us where is the limitation where is the knot which is causing pain so it's a point where the whole consciousness gets concentrated therefore there is pain so the of shoot of this is that basically one of the treatment modalities to widen you know we'll talk about psychologically it's very easy to understand but even physically we can widen so as a psychological level pain is um you know what what the mind does is mind can amplify a pain mind can completely diminish the pain take for example if somebody hits you from behind and uh, what does the mind say oh there is an uh, you know not a very pleasant contact and you are annoyed when you turn back and see is your friend so what does pain change into it changes into deep pleasure you tend to embrace somebody whom apparently who had caused you pain because when ignorance we felt it's an unknown person so pain also come because of unfamiliarity inability to assimilate a lot of contacts which come from outside to me karela may give pain there are people who who find pain if they eat rasgulla i don't know why but they do they say bahut meetha hai too sweet so there is this element of the mind which can amplify pain so this gives us another clue if the mind concentrates on the pain in fact on any illness or problem it tends to make it appear much greater than what it is whereas if the mind can turn away from an illness or a pain or a problem then automatically the thing comes to its right size then it it's not doesn't vanish but it is brought to the right perspective so this is what is called as looking at the larger picture and looking at the smaller picture because when we look at the larger picture then we see that this is a small thing otherwise uh, one of the remedies in fact psychologically uh, when we experience pain or suffering more appropriately widen and imagine contemplate the boundlessness of space and contemplate the endlessness of time so when we do that we realize that this is a one moment any year two year is nothing but one moment in the entirety of creation and when we look at uh, you know the indian way of thought something very amazing this idea of rebirth has been very less explored its potential to change our life now it's not about past life regression i am not talking about that and it's not even about belief and non belief but this idea that life is a continuum we are it's not it's a very small little existence you know one once one of the uh, ladies um, very well connected uh, you know uh, to the ashram a french lady she told me something very interesting you know one thing i have noticed uh, that indians are very little afraid of death so i said may or may not be true but why why do you say so she said it's because of the idea of rebirth so death is a new beginning so just look at it we have never explored this idea to its fullest because modern mind has lost it so what i have not completed now re- also because we have changed rebirth into another kind of pain oh your karma so all the time man is haunted by his karmas that there is somebody out there who is busy recording as if he had no better job than to all the time like a voyeurist note what you are doing and what you are not doing thankfully there is no such creature no such being god is not a voyeurist 
because he is sarvasakshi he doesn't need to peep into our rooms and see what's happening around he is not only the <laughs> eternal sakshi witness but he also is the one who is actually uh, the impeller ultimately of everything so there is no such person doing it rebirth is a mechanism of constant growth in the flow of life we are constantly growing from life to life so it's so wonderful you know people um, are so afraid of death not realizing that death is an opportunity to relive our life of course that doesn't mean that we say oh in this life i lost an opportunity let me die and come back again it doesn't work like that okay <laughs> there are rules in the game you can't say that okay let me try out another life so the the the, the rule is that live your life to the fullest put your effort to the ultimate it may not bring any result doesn't matter put in your effort so what happens when we put in effort people often say oh what a failure no 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 it's recorded documented docketed that's where the fellow comes in the person who is noticed what is he noticing not about good and bad right and wrong he says bahut try kiya this fellow has put in so much effort so it is docketed documented well there it is deposited in god's own bank ha huh? gob so there it is all recorded documented everybody is an account and when we come in another life it's like given to us okay you did lot of effort but we not, you were not ready to receive it's a different thing that when that is fulfilled you may say why did i ask all this <laughs> but that's how life is so it is a constant learning through experience but at that point of time it gives us pain so when we look at life in the very large perspective of a constant flow and especially when we know the flow is evolutionary going towards a certain direction it's not just a meaningless uh, you know happening in our life then we it's not about getting comfort but also getting direction in life what i mean by that direction is that okay it's going in a certain direction let me take that direction maybe instead of 10 lives i may cross that whole process within 10 months and that's what yoga is about yoga is to compress the concentration concentration um, in a concentrated way the evolutionary journey which spans across lives through much pain and suffering so this is the psychological aspect of pain where the mind can amplify the mind can minimize we can play with the mind even mind can through auto suggestion completely annul pain i this is uh, this can actually happen i can i mean there are many instances i can uh, tell you one which uh, i have seen myself uh, so there was a huge uh, uh, wheel lying outside the ashram playground with nails coming out of it so suddenly as i was passing it i like you know we have amongst us also one good samaritan she wanted to lift the whole chattan right now stone right now so because somebody will get hurt so i saw the wheel and i thought i must put it aside because uh, you know it may hurt somebody because it has nails on top of it so that moment i thought i am abhimanyu which obviously i am not so with all my strength i lifted up and felt very happy that oh at least a few millimeters i can lift it wonderful and uh, sure enough little bit more i lifted and then it uh, my hands gave way <laughs> and, and like a fool my feet was right below <laughs> the wheel <laughs> because it was moving you know so uh, i just became unconscious many lessons i learnt here pain also is because of unconsciousness so i slipped my foot below the uh, my foot below the <coughs> wheel and it fell on the foot and that moment the first thought that came to me is okay this is an opportunity to practice samatha in the physical so i am standing like this and i am actually seeing the knee the foot getting swollen actually swollen it was very interesting and i experienced i actually experienced a joy 
that oh I'm discovering something how it is actually getting stolen completely disconnected and this because of the mind going into that kind of state right up to cycling myself back to my home it was fine but the moment I went there everybody hurry what happened what happened now when I started recounting the story I started noticing the pain is coming and then all that you know tanda pani garam pani and all that you know crepe bandage and so basically the mind is a very very it can completely cut pain it has that power but why don't uh, can't we do it because we have never explored so it is very unfortunate that in our entire education though we talk about psychology we never actually teach children or train children that there are possibilities within us which we have ourselves not explored plenty of them not one but in regard to pain that you can completely detach yourself you can actually anesthetize the spot so there are instances where raman maharishi could actually come out of the body and uh, surgery was going on and he needed no anesthesia in the ashram context we had amal kiran who actually came out of the body and actually saw that how the surgery is taking place in the eye out of the body with sure window when he had the fracture of the leg he is uh, lying down and there is no oof ah nothing for almost 2 hours he was i mean mother came instantly then everybody came but there was no treatment he was just lying like that because they didn't know how much to move what to move and by the time people came uh, to you know move him and then niruddha asked him that you know what were you experiencing that time so they asked him that are you having pain he said oh one can be above pain so what are you doing about it because there was no pain no kind of um either an expression or anything that don't move it like this this is hurting so they asked what i what were you doing he said i was trying to convert pain vibrations into ananda meaning thereby that even there is a possibility wherein the same response uh, the the same event can be changed into an ananda it's completely opposite so this is important psychologically because pain is not always because of physical reasons very often there are psychological causes of pain and exactly the same event same circumstances let's say somebody has hurt you always there are people who hurt us actually it's people who don't hurt us <laughs> we hurt ourselves <laughs> but normally habitually we react so what happens habitually we react we react oh such a bad person you know because of him i got hurt so what has happened when i have done this i have lost my autonomy because now it is somebody else who has hurt me how am i going to change that person so people try to change that person it doesn't work nobody in this world has ever changed because of somebody else saying him they change when they feel from within the urge for change so what is important is to awaken this urge if one can and the only way one can awaken is this urge for changes if one has changed within there is no other way and then the means methods etc come but supposing somebody hurts we can give a very different response and the response can be one i forgive you but forgive you is also you are you have hurt me no but i am a benevolent creature i forgive you too much of like a kind of vanity in that or i can say i pity you you can only give pain to others so that's the second part third is we can smile and say i refuse to be hurt try what you may now that is mastery fourth i love you because through it you have shown me the door to the beloved there is a very beautiful uh, play of the mother uh, which is uh, about you know she speaks about the future and uh, you know when two people who are in love with each other and then 
the lady discovers that the man has someone else uh, he is seeing someone else so she doesn't react the usual way angry and you know people talk about angry or young man but angry young woman is like radra rupni durga so she doesn't do any of those things she sees this man and then she says she pauses for a moment on the threshold and then she tells them that look i understand both of you love each other but let your love be a little more better more beautiful more human lifted upwards don't let it degrade into anything like animal then they wonder that what what she trying to communicate what about her she says as for myself i have learned that only the divine can fulfill this thirst so i had my experience and i am going towards where i should be so every event even the most disastrous seemingly disastrous one is on the deathbed and one can look at it as the end one can look at it as a new beginning so there is a whole approach and i wish i mean all of you are uh, young uh, entrepreneurs of the spirit and uh, you know you are doing so much which is so wonderful to the cause of indian psychology it will be very nice if somehow this can come into the curriculum of children by curriculum i don't mean a fixed textbook but understanding that how when we grow up to the same event otherwise one of the things that i find so much misery so much quarrel um, but for what actually for nothing because we become so small points we don't realize that my life is not centered around this i can be free and indeed you know we have put ourselves in that situation often i give this example another example of psychological pain and there we see the two knots which cause psychological pain so one is a person goes to a psychological center where people are sick and sees a person constantly crying lulu oh my lulu my lulu and is in deep pain so he asked the the inspector asked the um, treating psychiatrist why is he constantly calling lulu and is so much of pain so he says you know he loved lulu but could never get married so sad yes i understand it can be very painful few beds away there is another person lulu my lulu so he says what's about this person he says he got married to the lulu which he didn't get married <laughs> now he is in deep depression he says well that also i can understand then he goes still further and there is another man saying lulu lulu and he is depressed see so what happened to you did lulu marry you or she loved you and didn't marry you say i don't even know who lulu is So why are you unhappy? Because these two people are crying for Lulu, and I believe she is the somebody very desirable, which I have not even seen in my life. Hence, therefore, I am so sad and distressed that I never had an encounter with Lulu. Now look at it. The story is about most of the time. Uh, one of the reasons for pain and suffering, psychological suffering, is because we have been conditioned wrongly. As children, we have been taught: you get this, you'll be happy; you get that, you'll be happy. And it's something so unconsciously built. and we have for everything we have created you know all kinds of mental images so ladki hogi to kudi hogi to soni honi chahiye you know in punjabi they say oh girl she should be very fair she should be this that and boy oh he must have cash so for the boys the qualification is only <laughs> cash he must have lot of money and if he is an nri very good it doesn't work like that <laughs> we have started on the wrong footing marriage is all about love even if you don't marry it's about love if there is love it creates beauty and joy it doesn't matter in a you know there was a beautiful movie i forget the name 
एक अकेला इस शहर में आवोदाना ढूंढता है लॉन्ग बैक सो इट वॉज द मूवी वॉज अबाउट दिस टू पीपल वेन द लव इच अदर एंड देन यू नो दिस लेडी गेट्स मैरिड टू अ ओल्ड मैन एंड बिकॉज यू नो ही विल गिव ऑल द प्रॉपर्टी वेन ही डाइज so the two uh, lover and beloved they decide that you know you get married what's there is question of little more time so everything will be in your hands and then we will come together and we'll live together but the beauty is that as she starts serving him she falls in love with him because she realizes he's such a wonderful person so you see there is a break up of paradigm and she says no but i love him even when he dies that i can't now you see we have been conditioned so badly that this only will give me happiness so there the love was hinging around ghar and all these things and here it was love basically love so uh, when we look at life start looking at life a fresh and we are the anew uh, leaving behind all those conceptions unfortunately lot of things our parents and uh, teachers sorry to say transmit into us which are like poison barbs so you know to disinherit that itself is a big thing so psychological pain has a lot to do with the way i understand life the way i conceive life then apart from psychological pain there is another reason which uh, normally we don't even understand but uh, you know it's called as occult so there are forces which are standing always behind to make us trip to fall and uh, this is something which of course modern uh, mind has lost this uh, knowledge but uh, you know occult people people who are uh, into mysticism spiritual life they understand that there is something which is uh, there are forces in this play of uh, vast uh, play of you know call it the creator so there are forces which help us advance towards higher realms and there are forces which want to keep us tied down to the lower and trip us so they they uh, like to stage a drama of life which is very painful and they feed on our pain so these are called in the parlance of yoga is adverse and hostile forces so their typical way is that first they will make us uh, upside it again that kind of thing then they make us fill with guilt then despair then a feeling of unfitness hopelessness and eventually through that they take us into a hole what is that hole oh, i am useless i am uh, a wasted person and then we love to you know there are all the songs of mukesh well he sings very well that apart but all the sad songs in the world as if everything every song he has sung is for me applies to me <laughs> you know are this is not happened to you but this is called going into a hole so what is that hole that hole is the hole of a very small tamasic ego at its extreme it goes on to say that you know i am the creature who is meant to suffer god created suffering god created this world to inflict suffering on me there are philosophies like that which go on to say that god created suffering so that we can remember him what a god my god stay away from such god huh who built created misery so that we can remember him but there are philosophies like that which is very sad that we believe in a god who inflicts suffering so that we can think of him my god must be a monstrous god but this is how we begin to experience life but there is another experience of life when we can come out of the hole none of this is true i am delight i am that being and that takes us to the next level of uh, you know um pain which is hardly recognized as pain but nowadays i see it more and more it is spiritual suffering 
So spirituality is supposed to be the solution of many things. How can spirituality bring suffering? So spiritually, uh, spirituality can bring suffering because there is in us, in all this mixed stuff that we call ourselves, an element of the divine uh, light, divine being, a seed, a portion of the divine. And its only task is to help us grow toward the light and the truth and in fact to free us from all suffering. Actually that's its task. It's the agni within us which purifies, rectifies, gives us the right mold. But there are parts which don't listen. So spiritual suffering can be best understood as the suffering of a mother when the child she knows is taken a route which is dangerous and dark. But she has tried to convince the child doesn't listen. She can't disconnect herself from the child. But she suffers silently. So it's the suffering of that kind that within us, there is the psychic being, the, the, the individual soul which suffers and feels stifled because it wants to be born, wants to take lead in the human quest, but nobody is listening to it. So this is what, you know, is one cause for suffering, which often goes unrecognized. But it's typical science. Nowadays, people use words like spiritual emergency. I think some of us may have heard about it. I have seen, I don't like to use a word like spiritual emergency. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it conveys something that there are people, uh, youngsters, who want to take a course of life because they feel the existential angst of uh, something being born, something which is seeking release. But either their own nature or you know uh, the world circumstances around do not allow it. So they experience a deep pain, a kind of depression which they don't understand why is it so. It's not because of any external reason. But it's because they are not living the life they are meant to live. So this deeper spiritual reason for pain is that we are not leading the life we are meant to lead and therefore pain becomes a means to remind us that the life we are leading is not what we are meant to lead. Turn turn into that. It's like a correcting GPS. And there this famous story of Narada that you know he asked Sri Krishna they are strolling together Lord Vishnu and Narada that you know uh, Narada says that you know I am always in delight but I have heard a lot about Maya what is Maya? Will you please tell me? And Lord Vishnu says, you know, I am a very practical person. I don't like to tell, give lectures. For that, there are many fools on earth who will do it. But I am my way of actually teaching by practical experience. So Narada says, okay, teach me. He says, that I will do later. But can you fetch me some water? I am thirsty. So Narada goes to take some water. And there he falls in love, gets married, has children. Everything is forgotten about the thirst of the Lord. And then one day after 12 years, suddenly children die. There is a bonfire or house is on fire. Everybody is suddenly dies. And at that moment, Narada says, why does happen to me? Oh, cruel God, you are the cruelest creature on earth, snatching away from me everything that was beautiful in my life. And at that point of time, he hears that little voice inside. Narada, but I am thirsty. I'll tell you, I'll answer all your questions. Can you fetch me some water? You had gone to fetch me some water. So basically many times, it's not that this is wrong or right, please, that's not the idea. But for somebody, one needs to go through certain experience. That like when children are, uh, infants are given chocolates and toy cars. But they can't be playing with chocolates and toy cars all their life. So there comes a time when the toy car and the uh, chocolate is snatched away by the same mother who gave it to them. When she knows, sees that they are getting indulgently attached to it. So the secret of living life uh, with delight, you know, the secret of delight spiritually, very beautifully, uh, in the Isha Upanishad we find three, four very beautiful hints about 
free, freeing oneself from pain. So the very first uh, sloka is about that. Isha vashya midam sarvam yat kincha jagatyam jagat tena tyak tena bhunjita magrida kasasitana. So it says all this, you know, is for the habitation of the Lord. My God, it frees us from pain. Actually, just on this, if we meditate, this body is of the Lord. Just imagine, live with this thought. It's not really mine. Now, there is a Jnana Yoga method. I am not this, I am not this. So, I tend to discard it. No, it's not saying that. It is saying it belongs to the Lord. Meaning, thereby take care of it. Because it belongs to the Lord. But don't worry about it, because it belongs to the Lord. Take care of it. It's something which the Lord has given to you. But it's His. So He will take care of it where you cannot. There is a personal limit. It, anyways, it doesn't belong to you. So that kind of attachment. And it says about everything in life. Everything. Every particle of creation. Everything that is moving, non-moving. Be with everyone and everything. Be with love. Be with beauty. Be with kindness. Be with peace. Be with harmony. But only one little inner surgery, very delicate, subtle surgery we have to do. Tena taktena bhunjita. By renouncing, enjoy all. So what is to be renounced? Not the object, but the way we attach ourselves. This body is mine. How much we suffer? We don't see the suffering of countless bodies. So when we look at the suffering of countless body, what do we learn? You see, this is a very important lesson. People often say, why should I bother about other bodies? Yes, okay, we'll give them painkillers. It's the same problem. No, it's not the same problem. When we look at the suffering of every body, then we say the problem is with the body. What is the problem with the body? Is there any body which does not suffer? Body, I am saying physically body. Why does it suffer? Then we see that because matter, physical body is yet imperfect. Then we realize that it's not only not about karma and all these things. The body is imperfect. Now when the body is imperfect, whatever you may do, it will be prone to pain and suffering. So we have to find a way and means that this body may change. That's where Sri Yoga comes in, which obviously right now probably it's a different theme altogether. But if there's a question, we can speak about it. The body itself must transmute itself. Can it be transmuted? Yes, because the divine resides in the body. The body should be a worthy dwelling place of the divine. It is not. Why it is not? Because nature is progressively creating bodies, forms and after forms, which can hold a little more degree of consciousness. Till finally you have a body which can completely have the divine consciousness without breaking down. Because it's a tremendous consciousness. It's like thousands of suns burning. So many experiments, like today we have solar panels, today we have this, that, all this, because over a period of time, how did the flight begin not even by you know of course somebody conceived of it da vinci we had the uh, wheel from the wheel so many things came up why because there was a possibility of motion which can be facilitated and today we have all this you know development so that initial step that nature takes step by step and it is creating going to create a body which will eventually be freed from the necessity of pain and suffering because just like the psychological being, it will not have this idea of self and not self. What it will do right now because it is built on this plan. What happens when a virus enters a transformed body? So it will say you are myself. Meaning thereby, 
because this self in which the body has started living is the divine self. What is the quality of the divine? A virus enters, it gets transmitted. So it goes back to its original truth. Its crookedness is gone. So everything that enters within its zone tends to get transmuted. You know, there was this uh, imagination was conjured in one of the movies, the bulletproof monk. So essentially it's about the very body has to evolve otherwise because very often people ask that why even sages and seers and saints they suffer. Well, they don't suffer inside psychologically. If one is really a seer and a saint, one doesn't suffer inside because one has learned to detach oneself. But the body still suffers because the body is imperfect. What about the mind and the heart? Well, they are also beings in the making. They suffer because they are also imperfect. Now, when we look at life like that and when we see that this imperfection is not a finished line, not we have not reached the ultimate stage of evolution, we are transiting from imperfection towards perfection, then the whole story becomes clear. Why is there pain? Not karma. But because pain is the hammer of the gods to break a dead resistance in the human heart. It is meant to show us that I am still a limited being. And this sense of limitation is not to make us slip into a hole and say, Oh my God, life is limited. It is to awaken in us the urge to go beyond the limitation into the limitless vast. This is what it is meant to do. So when we are most imprisoned, we can you know, react in two ways. One is when we are imprisoned, we give up on everything. We give up on life. We give up hope. We give up faith. We say there is no God and we suffer and die. But there is another where the prison becomes a twisting ground for meeting God. You know, in the case of uh, Shirobindo and quite a few that time who were imprisoned, they suddenly had that kind of approach that though I am outwardly in prison, I can inwardly be free and grow into vastness. So then we realize that pain is not a punishment. Very often it's a blessing. It breaks our limits. It reminds us of the imperfection of life. But this reminder is only to awaken in us a fire. If, uh, you know, children who never have faced a challenge in life, because they, their parents thought that right from the time the child is born, we will tell the child that, look, I own so many crores of rupees. When the child is four year old, we'll buy an airplane for the child and we'll say, you know, this for you. What happens to such a child? He never really grows up. Even though he grows up in age, he remains very vulnerable and fragile. So what we call as difficult situations, circumstances are challenges life gives us. We should Not that we should ask for it, but they are challenges given to us to grow. It is in Kurushetra that the lesson of the Gita is given. So the spiritual way is to widen and make ourselves vast. First is that Isha Vasya Midam Sarvam. So nothing really belongs to me. This doesn't mean that I leave everything. Then I will leave what belongs to me. I am not leaving anything physically. But I am treating everything as if it is a gift of God. Which means to treat human beings, you know, from that comes that we should have mutual respect, mutual care, love, affection. Why? Because they are not mine. They, they are gifts of grace. What about if people don't understand it or they, uh, you know, react in certain ways? doesn't matter. It's the transaction is taking place between them and the divine. As far as I am concerned, I step out of the way. So this is the approach we can adopt in life. Ten taktin bhunjita, and with that comes magrida kasasvidhanam. A lot of things come because of this sense of possessive clinging. That's why when we are confronted with death, we are so much afraid. 
as if if this body is gone, I am gone. These are all forms of ignorance. At one place, Sri Aurobindo says, pain is the signature of ignorance. Why? Because I think this is my body. But there are others who can smile even when they are confronted with death. I think recently a movie is coming. By the way, I am not being paid for its advertisement. But I have heard about it, Sher Shah. Is that correct? So that is a movie. You were saying about... So that is a movie about Vikram Batra. Now here is the man who is facing in the battle a prospect where he may die. And what does he say? He says, Ye dil mange more. How can you say that? He is not professing to be a spiritual man. So again this idea of spirituality with the meditation, you know the moment you talk about spirituality, everybody says, how do I meditate please? So that is where we have, we have given a completely wrong turn to Indian psychology. Indian psychology is so positive. Arjuna is on the battlefield. He is not sitting in an hermitage where it is being given. You know, Indian psychology is not about theoretical Vedanta. It's about Vedanta in real life. Why is Abhimanyu freed from the fear of death? Because he knows the soul doesn't die. That's why, you know, he has the Shaurya. He says, okay, fine, you'll pierce my body, but I prefer facing the challenge of life. That's why Abhimanyu is immortalized. So, Magridha Why do I want to possess and keep it forever? It is there with me today. It will go with tomorrow. But at the same time, this too is still an approach where one is detached. After detachment, what is the next step? We must discover the oneness. It's not just about me and my pain and my little hole in which I am there. This is the cosmic pain and suffering which somebody like Buddha experiences. So spiritual beings sometimes experience the pain of others. They experience the pain of creation. They don't talk about it because their consciousness becomes very wide. And then they search for the cosmic remedies. So two remedies with which we can stop. One remedy is the remedy of the Buddha where we say that this is a field of pain. And suffering. Yes, things are imperfect. Man is imperfect. Life is imperfect. And the remedy is to draw into some state of inner perfection. Buddha used the word permanent. Doesn't matter. Permanent, a perfect state is there within in which you can withdraw. And the other is, can that perfection be brought into this world and our mind, our heart, our life, our physical being can be made perfect. Because if there is the perfect one within me, surely if he is omnipotent and omniscient, he can make our life and body perfect. So that is the approach that Shurabindo takes. The first premise is very clear. When we live in this world, being of the world, some pain and suffering will be there because it's a reminder of the limitation, it's a reminder of the imperfection of our life. And through these reminders, the spirit rises mightier. As Shubindu says, pain is the hand of nature sculpturing men to greatness. And inspired labor chisels with heavenly cruelty and unwilling mold. And then he says that though the you know uh, we fall and rise, the spirit rises mightier with each defeat. Its godlike wings grow wide with every fall. So every time we experience the sting of pain, we are being prepared for a greater climb. If we can just remember that, that there is no hopeless situation ever. And if today we find ourselves cast down in the state of utter despair, Mother reminds us with a little story, every night it comes. So you see countless stars, they are so beautiful. And so she reminds us the state when there was this entire concentrated point of light and all around was darkness. 
so that power which divides this universe divided that point of light so what happened she says there was no state more precarious than that which was at the origin it is a bursting forth of that one into countless countless scattered points of light she says but look what he did with it he has woven a beautiful necklace of stars across the sky so when we experience ourselves in a state of utter despair most vulnerable most helpless that is the time we are very close to truth otherwise we are living constantly with the idea i am i am somebody first my visiting card then my bank balance the day we discover that neither visiting card nor bank balance nothing really matters nothing can help me that is the time when we are closest to the truth that there is still someone whose presence can change everything in life of course if we can live life remembering that wonderful presence which is not only in the distant stars not only in some distant heavens not only in you know far above but that presence is within us that presence is in bird and beast and stone in everything in every creature and if we can discover that presence and live by that presence and discover that presence everywhere then even the hand of somebody who strikes us will say thank you god you chose this way to awaken me to a greater truth as shubindu says oh misfortune blessed are blessed art thou for thou hast shown me the face of my beloved these are states of consciousness to which mystic ascends there is another one where he says if you love me then strike me if you strike me not then then it means that you lovest me not this not to tell god to strike us but even when we receive a blow we can see behind the blow that there was something which i had missed out some imperfection and this is the divine who has come to remind me of that so we start from that little hole that little idea of self preservation needed at a point of evolution and we can evolve to a point where we are not only inward freely free but even the body can taste a delight and oneness and be freed completely from the sting of pain because it's no more necessary pain like pleasure one thing we must remember if we pursue pleasure pain will come this is a very old scheme we have signed the contract if i seek happiness so he said okay put down signature i'll give you happiness we have signed you know footnote you seek happiness you will get couple of pains free is suffering free it's the law because why because pleasure can completely bind us to a very small state so pain is liberative so actually <laughs> this is a old scheme nothing to do with karma in fact in a way good karma that pain came and reminded us that look i am tied to pleasure so pleasure and pain are disguises both if you seek pleasure pain will follow if i seek pleasure pain will follow if i seek to remain only virtuous vice will be there behind peeping with its eyes waiting for its moment but if we seek delight then both pleasure and pain and indifference they dive into absolute bliss if i seek the supreme good then good and evil enter into a state of perfect unity if we seek the supreme love then spontaneously this human play of love and hate will cease because everywhere and everything will see that little love shining at its core so i think we can 
pause here because the internet is saying you are speaking too much. So I allow for some questions if there are. <laughs> so I'll stop here and uh, please feel free to, I mean, raise any questions, anything whatsoever. Akanksha, you had a question. Yeah, I had a question. Uh, thank you, Alok. I think my question goes to the fact that the turn towards spirituality in early life, like I can relate it with my own experience, was uh, with some answers to this existential angst and even uh, a kind of a crisis of the spirit sort of an experience. Um, what I did discover mostly that everybody is giving you an antidote to pain. Nobody is letting or giving us a way to go into the pain. Yeah. And there is a kind of a numbing to that pain and almost bypassing it. I, I, uh, some of the pieces of, uh, you know, ready-made spirituality that we run away from that. And uh, it sort of numbs us to life also, I feel. You know, if we can't really experience the pain of our life. So I would like to, like, what do you, what is, what is your, in your experience, your views of looking at this phenomena of like actually using spirituality as a bypass road, you know? Which yeah, yeah, I, I get your point. It's a very interesting question. Yes, so some people do use spirituality as a bypass. So they want to, you know, escape from life, its challenges. And uh, obviously it is, uh, the word used is spirituality, but basically it's a kind of going away from the zone of pain. But uh, the real challenge lies is, uh, I won't use the word going into the pain, but of course, though it is true that if we go into the heart of anything and everything, we will discover divine. But it's not a good path to go through, you know. Uh, but what I would rather say that if you can be in a zone of pain, where pain, uh, you are vulnerable, let's put it like that, and yet you use every vulnerable point to conquer that little thing within us which makes us vulnerable, then that is the spirituality which conquers the world, not runs away from the world. So personally, I have preferred that path and there's the path in the Gita, there's the path Shobindo says, but these are the two paths of spiritual life. I won't use the word that one is, you know, uh, higher or lesser, but uh, there are beings who choose to withdraw from the world existence at the highest level. That's what goes towards nirvana, moksha, ultimately that this world is full of pain, uh, sorrow, suffering. So find a way to, you know, escape. And uh, then there is the second misconception associated with it that to escape from uh, creation, we have to escape from creatures. Which is actually not true because the bonding is inside. Even if I cut myself from anyone and everyone, still I am bound to myself. So escape from creatures is not synonymous with escape from creation because I am also part of creation. But this is a path that people choose. When they choose this path, then it is not necessarily that they will become numb. There is the example of Buddha. Because when they enter into a higher zone, like with Buddha's life, what is known as the 
Maitri uh, Amitabh, you discover the real cause. See, when we are here and we are suffering with pain and others are suffering with pain, it's true that we become sensitive to people's pain. It's true. But at the same, because we are experiencing it, but at the same time, we don't understand the real causes. So we are never really able to heal because, you know, then the it's like pity or, you know, show, I wish, you know, or a kind of kindness at best. But when we ourselves have gone beyond the zone of pain, then when then we discover there is a compassion which is born because we realize it's ignorance. As the Buddha said that you are tied to your desires and you are in a state of ignorance. You don't know who you are and therefore there is pain. So there is a much greater power to heal and help. So somebody like Buddha was not benumbed, though he chose the path of escape. He was completely aware of the world pain, but he knew its deeper causes. So he was not reacting and responding the way we humanly respond when we see somebody's pain. I mean, I understand that there is a phase when one can become benumbed, like when we practice equanimity or, you know, sometimes uh, we are just busy into, I should be freed from the pain and I can become insensitive and it takes away also, you know, the capacity for joy in life. But uh, this is one path that even those who withdraw at a point of time, they can look at the world from a very wide compassion. The second is the way of the Gita. That I am in the middle heart of pain and yet I am in the hands of joy. There is a line in Savitri which you know I am reminded of when I see Krishna and Arjuna. A heart of, a hand of joy in a heart of pain. So that's where we are in the midst of everything. But we are not diluted by appearances. The appearance is always changing. Nor are we running away from them. We are going to the core of appearances and seeing that there is behind all of them smiling the, the one who is our soul beloved. And most importantly, a lot of pain, you know, because for instance, because of desire, pain comes so easy to uh, understand ignorance and desire, 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 especially the knot of the ego. Now, all these knots break when we, the simplest way is that why are we desiring things? Because we believe it will give us joy. So if we can find a source of joy within, then desire tends to drop off. It's like we want love from people. But when we find love within, then we don't need love from others. Does it mean that we'll become unloving? No, on the contrary, we'll become very loving. Because see, we don't need love from anybody. No, but we'll give that love. It will pour in intense waves upon the whole creation. But without really wanting, uh, appropriating, you know, the will to, ye mera hai. So then actually we can act upon the world with a much greater uh, you know, power and purity and truth. And uh, at the same time, uh, we experience the delight within that comes by the contact with the divine. His nature is delight. So once we start experiencing that delight, then actually we really don't need joy from anything. But we are with everything because just as the divine is taking joy in the world, so are we taking joy in the world, wherever it takes us. To give an example at a very pragmatic level, ordinarily what happens when we travel we want to be in places that we like. So we either prefer a nice hotel or if somebody is known, when we go to somebody known's place, we say, oh, so nice to meet you, etc, um, etc. Et now, when somebody is turned to the divine and is living in that consciousness, so what happens? If he gets a nice hotel, he's fine there. So, but if he gets a small little place, he's equally enjoyed there. If he is staying with somebody whom he knows, he is, of course, uh, there is a joy. But equally, if he is staying with somebody for whatever reason who is totally unknown, still that joy can be there because simply because he is actually dwelling in the divine. So it gives a tremendous empowerment and a vantage point to act in the world. So such a yogin actually 
pours himself upon the world with a much greater force and energy. Um, but yes, there is a kind of spirituality which does teach us to bypass. I know this is uh, we use these days of just uh, you know witness yourself, separate yourself. If this separation is the first step, then it's okay because we have to learn to separate from the play to change the play. But if this separation is only to withdraw from you know some people like they take to sannyas, they give them deliberately pain. Now obviously that's not the path that God intended for man. Because if that was what he wanted, he wouldn't have created this creation with all its varieties and colors. He would have just made only snow-clad peaks and uh, not given us the capacity to uh, you know, have dresses. We would have just roamed like uh, bird and beast and you know, sat on peaks and meditated. He doesn't intend that, that's for certain. So to flow with that divine intention in creation, but with the divine. Not with the sense of the ego. Ego brings the limitation and the pain along with that. Yeah. And the ignorance that I am this limited being. Alok Pandey can be hurt. Subtly. Because it's a limited being. Anybody can hurt me by saying that what's your knowledge is worth nothing. Or somebody can say that all your lecture is trash. So if I am this being, I will be hurt. But if I am not this being and I am living in that vastness and I understand that everybody has a right to their own approaches. So somebody says, you spoke like a stupid person. I will say, yes, sometimes God can make the stupid person say wise things and he can make the wise appear stupid in front of everyone. And a lot of stupidity and wisdom has to do even with the receiver and the hearer if I have to add a little bit of wit to it. So what I am saying is that, you know, it's a different consciousness altogether. But if I am this limited Alok Pandey, the speaker... Then it's like, oh, okay, okay, you told like this, next time I'll see you. <laughs> so ego causes pain. And, and if, if there is a way to rend the knot of the ego, then there is delight. So there are two ways this knot of ego is cut in world. One, by contact with the world itself. There are plenty of people all around who will cut the knot of the ego. At least attack it like anything. Huh? So... Nindak niere rakhiye bin nindak The man who criticizes you is a blessing. Because he will keep showing you the... So when God loves somebody, destiny likes you, to, he will keep somebody near you, will keep on criticizing you. The whole world may praise you, but that person is intended to criticize you. <laughs> okay, so this is because not a ego is being cut. That's all. It's the divine's plan. But... There is another way to get this knot cut because this is a long process. So many people cutting a little knot here like sometimes you know when there is a very complicated knot then everybody says let me try, let me try, let me try and they keep on complicating it. So the world is like that because it say it has been given the task of cutting the knot. Now it's imagine a scenario where everybody is cutting the knot of the nada of everybody else, not their own. So what a potpourri this is going to make. But the other way is as mother says Thy embrace, O Lord, that rends the living knot of pain. The embrace of the divine. So, even in the world, divine is hidden. But he comes to us as a wrestler. Ego will be crushed. No choice. Everybody's. It's not like somebody is crushing my ego. His ego is preserved. There are mechanisms in this world. Hiranyakashub believes that he has conquered the three worlds. Even the gods are subordinate to him. But his son says, Dad, you are wrong, you know. Original rebel. <laughs> Dad, you know what? I love you, but I can't believe what you are saying. It's all trash. <laughs> Your books are wrong, dated. Prahlad. You see? 
Nachiketa, his father, it says, you know, dad, you're doing something wrong. It's not right. This is not the way you are, you know, giving away the cows, the dead cow, half dead cows to the gods. Where are you going to give me? So in every house, he makes sure that there is somebody who will make sure that the ego will not survive. If God loves you, if you are still in, if you are still in nursery stage, then everybody will be flatterers around. Sir, you are very good, sir. You are wonderful, sir. Behind the back, they are saying he's the idiot. But, you know, in front they will tell you because they want things. Such, if, if we are surrounded by flatterers, that means we are still in kindergarten. But if God loves us, at least there will be a couple of people who will keep pointing out. Whether they are right or wrong is not the issue. <laughs> Neither the flatterers nor the criticizers because nobody really knows. But the simpler way is don't meet him as a wrestler. Meet him as a lover and beloved. So there also ego goes away, but so joyously. So, thy embrace, O Lord, that rends the living knot of pain. Meet God the lover rather than God the wrestler. Meet him like Radha met and not like Kansa. That is the story. Okay? Yeah. Uh, sir, a thoughts occurring as I'm listening to you. Uh, when you speak about the evolution of... Um, I mean, the transmutation, etc. And when we speak of Buddhism, um, there was a withdrawal. But would you say it was an evolution to the Mahayana teachings where the Bodhisattva ideal came in, where the beings not only did the realization for themselves, but uh, understanding grew in them for... Uh, doing something for the existence, for all beings? Yeah, very beautiful question. So basically, as I look at it, like many of these great beings, uh, Buddha's teachings were misunderstood even during his own time, to start with. And if you look at the context in which Buddha came, he is often known as Avedic, you know. But he is part of the Vedic uh, pantheon, I mean, Vedic larger Sanatan Dharma. So the reason is Buddha, like many others who came subsequently, he saw that people had just become lost in Karmkand, external ritualistic approach to God, and they are missing on the essentials. He must have seen that people are doing puja uh, of the God outside, but uh, neglecting the you know that presence within. He has noticed that people had turned God and all these great experiences into limited dogmatic formulas. So, when Buddha came with his mighty intellect and tremendous uh, vital power, he taught that the way is self-discipline, inner self-discipline, the way is dharma, dharmam shannam gachami, the way is surrender to the higher consciousness, buddham shannam gachami, and to come together as a group, you know, sangham shannam gachami, the eightfold path, the way is self-discipline, the way is spiritual self-discipline, if I may say so, through which man's path of evolution lies and not through a satisfaction of desire, because desire will lead to suffering. It's so wonderful. Buddha didn't bother about metaphysics because the big problem of metaphysics is um, I also feel I feel very much um, with this that when people engage in metaphysical discussion, they sometimes fix a limit and uh, tend to develop dogmas. You know, that's how we have uh, this kind of um, uh, this believer, that believer because we have reduced God to a certain uh, fixed formula 
fixed you know formula within the mind so buddha broke all that and liberated the truth within the forms so in certain sense and because he had seen that people have a tendency see came when the vedic religion or vedic thought was on the decline so he knew that once again if i try to qualify they will turn it into another formula so buddha refused to answer metaphysical questions whenever they would ask him they would you know he would say that find out by yourself and therefore many people called him anatmavad but it's not true because if he really believed in anatmavad in that sense then there is no question of liberation because who is liberated and from whom uh, but he did speak about a permanent so that way buddha was a very powerful uh, one of the most powerful you know personalities ever his actions still continue so one can imagine that buddha was far from withdrawal from life as to hini but that's how it is understood you see when you see like any religion it's not only buddhism but every religion it happens that we pick up a name and a scripture and we forget the real spirit uh, the other aspect mahayana and hinayana that's very interesting because and of course theravada buddhism if you want to look at it as a offshoot so basically one took that aspect of buddha like the kane upanishad yan mansana manute yanahur manomatang tadeva brahmantam viddhi so the brahman is beyond nedam yadidam upasate so that took the approach of otherworldliness this is the hinyan to put it in upanishadic language that uh, look here you can't find divine within these limited aspects which buddha broke the forms but it is beyond so it that approach the hinyana took so naturally if you take that approach then even the gods and all other celestial beings have to discard that's how hinayana becomes seen it's a little vehicle northern buddhism you know or the southern buddhism but mahayana was very much like inspired by the sanatan dharma thought that everything is an habitation of the lord so it's like an isha upanishad that isha vasyam idam sarvam yat kinche jagatyam jagat so that became mahayana and then subsequently the occult side which was taken by you know tibetan buddhism theravada and all that in general mahayana you will find that up north if you go you find mahayana because you know that's the place which was so much full of all this vedantic and upanishadic literature where you, you go down south even till date it's not only with buddhism everything you take the vedantic thought if you go upper part it is full and as you start descending you have that you know mayavad you have that tendency uh, to you know uh, reduce god into something beyond and both are stages and steps it's not like this is better or that one there is a time when man must to reduce the hard grip upon of uh, material life must understand this is a spiritual life which is far beyond and surely buddha must have seen if we go into the history of uh you know any civilization it goes through a time when it is completely en- entrenched and enmeshed in you know complete materialistic thought so a person like buddha emerges and teaches that look here there is something which is beyond find that uh, hidden qualify it wonderful but at the same time after we have found what happens then now that's when some people prefer to withdraw others choose to get back and say that well I, what i have found it is there in creation if it is within me logically it is in everything and i must discover it in everything and help everybody to discover it this tendency that i must enter into creation help all to discover it and uh, is in everybody is the basis of love that is the true birth of love and that's why you know buddha's that aspect which uh, mahayana buddhism has brought forward is uh, you know the idea of amitabha or maitrey buddha so that's because maitrey you know he is the one who loves mankind which is the greater ideal that buddhism posed so the beauty of buddha is he has given both on one side withdraw from life then cut off desire it will cause suffering 
But Buddha also showed a higher ideal that having achieved Nirvana, before he is entering, going to enter into Maha Nirvana, because these are the two states. Nirvana is while living in the world and Maha Nirvana when you cut off completely. He hesitates and looks back upon earth and says, no, how can I accept my liberation? The larger impulse that, you know, uh, the whole mankind is in a state of suffering and I refuse my liberation. That is obviously the higher and a vaster impulse. But uh, maybe for each one at different stages, both have their meaning. So Buddha is not to be, you know, no great being is to be discarded because each brought to the earth something beautiful. But what happens subsequently? <laughs> they get lost into, uh, you know, like uh, I've been to Leh Ladakh. So it's so beautiful. It's all full of, you know, you see the Buddhism. Uh, but there's the first place I learned. So there are some places where those uh, chakras are there, you know. So you like the same mala firna. You just put it across and you have done one mala. Now that's human tendency because uh, to put real effort is very difficult. Uh, that's why you need iconoclasts like Kabir who will say manka manka fair. You know, tanka manka fair ke kya hoga. <laughs> so, uh, iconoclasm is born from that higher thought. But beyond iconoclasm is that another experience where we see the divine in everything. In Vivekananda broke many of these outer ritualistic tradition. He had a very strong Buddhist impulse in him. Uh, because he also saw, even in the monasteries, this same thing happens. So, both are needed and in a perfect integration of the two or understanding that they are two stages of you know one becoming uh, if we are completely indulgently involved in the world in an ignorant way there is no way we will uh, find the door to escape or find the divine or find that greater consciousness but having found it is too selfish if I want to withdraw away because after all all creation is the divine and then to enter into it for redemption of the whole world that is the ultimate sense of Buddha Okay, Alokji, uh, thank you. Oh, there is one more question, sorry. Uh, Niharika? I think I'll, I'll ask. Um, it's similar to what Akanksha was asking. Um, and I was curious if you could shed some light on collective suffering and uh, the. I don't know how to frame this. So, in my experience, when I went through a dark night of the soul 10 years ago, it actually opened my heart to the compassion to a sense of purpose and a sense of uh, wanting to serve the world um, as I went deeper into my own pain. Uh, so it kind of felt like the pain was like a sacred wound. Um, and so I guess my question is, uh, you mentioned not recommending the path of going down pain. Um, that if we go into the path of pain, you said something like, I don't recommend that. But in my experience, I found that the sacred wound can often lead us to that purpose and uh, the compassion that connects us with a collective suffering from which we can sort of feel more connected and responsible. Yeah. So. Yes, so, 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 yeah, wonderful, wonderful question. I mean, there was a very... Uh, beautiful series on this on the wounded healer and I do believe that a perfect healer is somebody who has gone through pain because how will he heal the remedies which he has not faced but having said that I what I mean is that 
uh, we trip into this door of pain, stumble into this door of pain and go through the dark hole and eventually we develop compassion. Yes, but there are many who will slip into that dark door and don't come out. They won't have compassion, but they will get into a hole of despair. So it's uh, something like I'll tell you that, you know, you eat a food and it poisons you and you discover that, look, you know, this food is harmful, but you discover all the ways and means of eating it. But that's not the path we'll recommend to others. So when a healer goes through pain and perhaps those who are destined to be healers often go through these deep wounds. Quite beautifully put, the sacred wound. And they go through it, they come out of it, they are compassionate, they, they become humble. That's the other part that it brings, you know, humility, compassion and love for, you know, because so many creatures are in that pain. But that is not the remedy that they would recommend. They would recommend a way where without entering into the hole you can find them, you know. Because they have reached a point, Let's, let me put it very simply, uh, because it applies to spirituality very often. Um, there are people who uh, go through the pain and at the end they discover the divine, you know. I am using, a shortcutting a whole journey. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an experience which all of us have. I have had this experience. So, but when you discover the divine, you discover that actually I didn't have to go through this. Because I was not heeding the call that I had to slip into this to discover it. So when I meet people, I am not going to recommend this way. Of course, if they are in this way, I would tell them that, look, at the end, it is the arms of your beloved that waits you. But you don't have to go through this process. So in uh, traditional literature, we are told that there are two paths. Uh, you know, outwardly, it is called Uttarayan and Dakshinayan. So um, they refer to the phases of the sun. Uh, now, if you see in an ear... The uh, you know the Dakshinayan starts somewhere sometime in June and then it goes right up to uh, December twenty first twenty second. So that's the phase when sun is gradually you know night is increasing. What is there at the end of that night? There is spring. That's true. <laughs> but there is a Uttarayan. After that, the day is increasing continuously till twenty first June. So man can take both approaches. The healthier approach is. Not to go through the pain, but a healthier approach, which the you know the mind of man also wants, that he doesn't want to go through pain instinctively, but to go from joy to greater joy, to be in the midst of joy and realize its inadequacy. That's what I mean. You are in the middle of everything that is giving you joy, wife and husband and friends or uh, whatever you know, um, children and money and everything, but you know its limitations. And therefore, you go from there to the next greater step. You know, Buddha himself took that step in a way. Personally, life, he didn't have pain. Uh, same we see with Sri Aurobindo, Sri Krishna. So, that's one path where we understand the limitations of what, uh, you know, these things can give. And therefore, we ascend from there to something greater. But there is another approach where we don't heed that. Then pain comes. It reminds us of the limitations after all. So, when somebody comes in a state of pain, we do give hope. It's okay. Because one has explored the Dakshinayana also. One has explored that even in this path, at the end, there is the divine. So that's why when people are in pain, uh, one of the highest words that the Gita has said, which has been unfortunately, uh, you know, misunderstood, uh, taken out of context of the entire Gita. Uh, so it is Anityam Asukham, Lokam. This world is full of uh, ever transient suffering world because it's constantly changing. So if I identify myself with the ever changing substance, and cling to something, it will cause pain. Because it, by its nature, it is going to change. It can't be the same. Whether it be an object or it be a relationship. Anityam asukham, lokam. Then he gives a remedy, bhajaswamam. 
remember me at all times because i am the stable basis of this creation so that is a intelligent way of doing it that look you know you see in life actually that everything is changing otherwise what happens we uh, jump from one uh, changing pain to another thing which we think or believe that this is going to you know ultimately i found and again we get pain then we go to another and again we discover the pain so but that's one approach um, i guess going into the heart of pain is also in a way to recognize this uh, limitation of earthly life uh, then we live in a state also of forgiveness uh, because we realize that people are limited um, they are limited by the darkness that is within them they are limited by the state of consciousness and this does bring compassion so both parts are okay but the preferred is joy to greater joy to still greater joy that's what i mean yes but i guess healers have to go through it yeah shobindra speaks of it in the savitri in savitri that he who would um, face the world must bear its pain how will he know what is the malady people who have never experienced pain in their life when you go to them they will you know give you all kinds of advice that according to vedanta this is all illusion that's what i think akansha was referring to so they will give all this kind of advice but because they don't know what it means to be in pain it's very easy to say you know that there is this one being this all intellectual they've never really experienced the pain of going through that state so uh, when one has gone through it it does change in our mind it brings humility it doesn't make us adopt uh, more than spiritual bypass a spiritual vanity a kind of spiritual pride see i am above all these things look at these creatures who are suffering in ignorance which is of course very dangerous uh, spiritual pride can lead to a serious downfall but yes it makes people like that they start giving all this you know vedantic lecture but it's not true vedanta true vedanta teaches us compassion it teaches us that the one is not only within me but in everybody and it automatically if one follows that path really but this is a kind of pseudo vedanta where people intellectually have got a truth but never really experienced pain so they don't know they don't know either the one nor they know the <laughs> pain that you experience in this uh, you know manyness uh, i can uh, close it uh, this part with uh, you know an experience i had in one of the not ashram but a spiritual uh, you know organization so um, somebody came and he was telling uh, i have renounced the world and i said acha so what happened uh, i i i don't take much interest in all this kind of external renunciation but anyways he he started saying you know i had i was married i had six daughters and then one day i came away so i said so you renounced the world but you know your wife is doing the sadhana because she is doing yoga bringing up six children all by herself <laughs> but this is how people understand it's a crass insensitivity that's not what buddha will recommend buddha has gone away seized by a cosmic urge so he could leave behind his wife and child because he like a scientist who is in search of the problem of cosmic suffering but there are people who want to escape like this that i'll go to a monastery i'll go to a you know ashram or i'll go to a nice place and now i don't have to worry about anything what happens to those who are behind well they are in ignorance that is the kind of uh, that's the intellectual intellect which bypasses the real problem so it goes into a zone where one is comfortable but life will catch up because life is the same everywhere monastery or ashram human beings are the same <laughs> so they will come and remind you <laughs> i am there i am there you can't escape me <laughs> yeah okay namaste okay.
Uh, Alabji, can we take one more question? Uh, yes, yes, please. Uh, sir, I just remembered. You mentioned about hostile forces which affect us psychologically. Would you speak a little more on that? Yeah. Okay. So, there are uh, just, uh, I mean, in the spiritual mystic lore all over the world, uh, there is, uh, you know, one accepts that there are, uh, man is not alone in this creation, nor only what we see today as bird and beast and stone. There are forces which stand behind, which help and hinder our progress. Uh, upward. So there are forces which are benevolent forces. Even in human beings we can see, you know, people who are benevolent by nature and there are people who are, who want to create problems for you and there are some who are harmful but come wearing the mask of the benevolent. Like, you know, Duryodhana telling Karna that come, I'll give you a kingdom. But by taking, giving him the kingdom they have taken away the dharma. So this is the way even in world we can see. But behind these, the mystics saw the play of vast cosmic forces, much greater, much more powerful than human beings. Those which were benevolent, which were helpful, which was the way help us ascend are the gods. And those which create obstacles on the way are the adverse and the hostile forces. So they will keep on creating a problem. They love to create at their lowest, they try to create mischief like accidents. Basically, what do they do? They pick up one corner of insincerity, one corner of unconsciousness, they push into that. One may be a spiritual person and yet, you know, one is walking on the road and one was unconscious in that moment, one tripped over. Of course, they, if one is truly in that higher consciousness, one will be protected and saved. But this is their work. Now, how do they act? Adverse forces pick up something within our nature and make it appear very huge. Let's say somebody is a problem of anger issue. They will keep pushing anger issue at the smallest, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat and make you believe it's unsurmountable till you finally give up and say, well, I am anger prone. What can I do about it? Now, that's what they want you to pin you down to a soil where you stop, uh, you know, refuse to move. Then, uh, so they make us feel, you know, we are guilty, we are unfit, all these things. But hostile forces are far more dangerous. You know, it's like Rakshasa and the Asuras. Hostile forces can sometimes assume divine forms. Like, you know, uh, by divine forms, I don't mean actual divine forms. But they can come in the form of benevolent people. Like the original Mafia Don, Godfather. That, you know, they come as uh, trying to, you know, so lures, they will give spiritual lures, they may give other aggrandizing thought that you are a guru, you are a great being, you don't know who you are. And then the person may get into it and though one may lead a whole life like that, but basically one has fallen from the path. So all these kind of, um, or they may throw up abnormal depressions. Crying spells, confusion, chaos, disintegration all around. Their task is to disrupt, to disintegrate. By disrupting, to disintegrate. Because when things are together, there is a kind of joy, there is a kind of love blossoming. It's a beautiful soil for things to grow. But disruption, disintegration. So this is the task of the hostile forces. Fear. Uh, fear is one of the characteristic way they enter into the human consciousness. Lust for power, greed for money. This is how they distract us and detract us from the path. So why are they allowed? Well, ultimately they end up making the realization more perfect. <laughs> so that's why they are allowed because, well, otherwise we are very happy in our small little achievement. Uh, I did a course and I felt very nice. So normally, you know, we are very happy with that feel good factor. So they come and tell us, no, 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 no. That's nice feeling will not do. 
You see, you are still vulnerable. So actually they are in their origin instrument of sincerity, but they have forgotten grace. So they make us believe that, you know, there is no grace. Uh, life is all meaningless. Whenever we feel depression and despair, those fellows are nearby. So what we should tell them is, look here, let me tell you, divine is with me. Don't, you know, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> they are very scared of the divine name. Doesn't matter what you believe in. You may believe in Mother, Shri Krishna, Christ. It doesn't matter. Whatever name represents to you the divine or simply Om. Chant with all the heart. And you will see them running away with their tail between their legs. Because they know that our game is up. <laughs> they are very afraid of you know losing that. So the best way to tackle the hostile forces is just to call the divine name. Krishna, 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 He Krishna, Govinda, Hare Murari, He Nath Narayan Vasudeva. Om Namo Bhagavate Shri Arvindai, Om Anandamai, Chaitanyamai, Satyamai Parme, or very simply, Ma, 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 Ma. Okay? In short. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Alakji, for such a wonderful and insightful okay. uh, session. Thank you. Thank you very much.